It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. There goes a fly ball towards left field. Going back fast is Kennedy. Kennedy gets there, and he takes it. And the Cleveland Indians are the world champions of 1948. And this is Cleveland's team, a baseball history podcast. A regular look back at professional baseball in Cleveland from 1901 and beyond. Now, here's your host, Guardians team historian, Jeremy Fedor. Hey everyone, we are back with another podcast and recently it was announced that we will be drafting number one overall in the draft, which will be a first time in franchise history. Now we've had many uh, second overall picks and this podcast is with one of them. Paul Shuey, who was drafted second overall in the 1992 draft, was a part of those Cleveland Cubs from 1994 till about 2002 when he was traded to the Dodgers. So here's our conversation with Paul Shuey. There's my noise, and um, yeah. So let's start at the um, the beginning. So, you know, I, your baseball reference page and everything mentions born in Ohio, but you end up in North Carolina. What's the? Uh, <laughs> you're in Ohio, and I guess I don't know if you'd consider yourself an Ohioan, but you're born here, so that's got to be something. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, definitely you know from Ohio. You know, grew up, um, and we were kind of in the middle of nowhere, Crattersville. Um, I always kind of step people down when they ask, like, where are you from? I'm like, do you know where Dayton is? Do you know where Lima is? Do you know where Wabakoneta is? Crytersville. Okay, there we go. That's where that's where uh, home was. And we were kind of out in the middle of nowhere. But um, And then I think my dad had the, I think there was a big blizzard in 77 or 78. And he was, my brother and I fed us through the window to go shovel out the front door so he could go do it, you know? It was that kind of deal. And I think they just... Mom and Dad just decided that was that was a little much at that point in time, so now, they made the move. And in North Carolina, if there's any bit of snow, it's 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 a train wreck. <laughs> you know, my again, like going back to my wife when she was down there, they had like that much, and everything shut down. So, so yeah, they don't handle it the same. Not at all. Um, so you end up in North Carolina. Um, always baseball. I was going through some of uh, the old newspapers, and it mentioned your dad said he knew. I think when you were 10 years old that you had a future possibly in baseball. I mean, is that kind of what you recall? Um, I know from a very early age, I just felt like uh, like that this is what I was going to do, you know. Um, and I don't know why exactly, but, you know, I was pretty good on the teams. It was interesting for my brother and I to go from what I would consider, I mean, you've got two major league teams in Ohio, right? So you go from a situation like that where a lot of kids are growing up wanting to be major league pitchers, and we go down to North Carolina, and you're looking at a bunch of people that want to play soccer. You know, we really didn't, you know, we stuck out. So, um, and our level was higher than the level that was around us. So it, uh, at that point in time, it really, you know, we were better players up here, but we got down there, and then it was like, okay, it's all on now. <laughs> 
Being in Carolina too, was basketball part of your life as well? I mean, some I tried. I uh, wish uh, you know when you get. I mean, they always talk about Jordan getting cut from the high school team. Well, I got cut from the high school team, but it's, <laughs> it didn't work out the same. Two different uh, trajectories <laughs> there. Uh, we were talking. You end up at UNC, but were all the Carolina schools looking at you? We mentioned North Carolina State. Yeah, so it's actually kind of funny. Um, I was. Uh, I went over to NC State. Uh, Ray Tanner and uh, Doug Mirabelli were there to sign me. Um, had a full ride going state. So I'm there with my dad at the uh, table um, to, to sit down and uh, sign and eat. And um, Tanner looked over at me and said, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I gave your scholarship away this morning to a left-hander from Florida. And I'm like, all right, I'll be in light blue and I'll see you. So that was kind of how that went. And then it was kind of funny how it worked out to where then Mirabelli ended up being the, uh, I think the scouting director with Cleveland. So it was uh, funny. I just walked by and like, really dude? You know, you couldn't, you couldn't make that adjustment at that time. Did they think you would just stay anyway? You were there, you'd sign and play the walk-on then or something? No, they made that choice. I mean, they loved that kid that much. I think it was a left-hander that was thrown from a low arm slot. Uh, they probably saw some video and, and thought that he was going to be, you know, pretty special. Um, and that's, you're rolling the dice. You know, I'm a local kid. They probably see me quite a bit. And I was not very polished. Um, so you're looking at a situation where, you know, do you want to, you know, it's where, where, you're, where you want to take the risk. And Florida, not seeing them as much, you know, that's where they, that's where they moved. And you, you know, mentioned being unpolished, and I remember talking to John Farrell, and he said he was more of a thrower than a pitcher. Was that kind of where you felt like you were at when you were at that stage? Yes, to some extent. Yeah, well, I would definitely say that. More of a, um, more of a, I tried to outstuff guys, you know? And if you look at relievers like a Classe and stuff like that, you know, how much are those guys thinking through the at-bat, making sure that, you know, they're picking the right pitch at the right spot. They're not exactly reined in on, I'm just going to, you know, groove this right on the outside corner. It's more like, okay, here's my very best fastball. Here's my very best split, right? Um, and it evolved, obviously. But initially coming in, yeah, definitely. Uh, I wanted to see the lineup once. I did not want to see him twice. <laughs> and you had success in college and... When the Cleveland scouting director came to see you, it mentioned that you actually had pneumonia. Do you re recall that? He said he was trying to check out some, uh, some of the players up, and when he went to visit you, you had pneumonia. Is that something that rings a bell? Or? Um, I don't remember. I don't remember having pneumonia. I might have been sick. Um, but Mickey, Mickey White and Mark McKnight were the, were the guys, and I just remember how exciting that was at that time to be, we pretty much knew where things were setting up and and those guys were, were all in. And it was just nice to kind of have that, that vibe, that confidence from them. And, you know, they didn't just disappear. I still get texts from, you know, those guys uh, now. And it's just, uh, I don't know, it's nice to think about some confidence that they had in me and then able to at least, you know, pull out a career out of it. You know, and it, it does seem like, 
Cleveland was was drafting you with an eye to the future. They had just lost 105 games. I don't know how much you had been paying attention to them at the time. Actually, you must have been because you had a quote saying, they're on their way up. I watched them five times in ESPN, and they're 5-0. and I get pumped up when I watch. So clearly you were aware Cleveland was looking at you and that there was something kind of brewing there. So, I mean, obviously coming with the territory of being the second overall pick, you're going to a team that's been struggling. But, I mean, it has to be exciting to have those Ohio roots and, and have Cleveland looking at you. Yeah, it was very exciting and so cool to, you know, just like you said, being from Ohio, <clears throat> you know, I had uh, been taken to a game uh, to watch Cincinnati when I was maybe five. And uh, you see that big red machine and uh, and then – I really didn't know that much about Cleveland, and then obviously as it came closer, and I, I, you know, did some more research and saw what was going on. I'm like, these guys are building a new stadium, you know. This is it, it. Just it was an exciting time to sit there, and you know, this is on the on the on the coming up, and you know, now I look back at you know the teams that I've been able to be part of, and just feel pretty blessed. Um, I believe they brought you up to the uh, the old ballpark after you'd been drafted. Do you recall ever coming up and what that was like to see that cave versus eventually what you ended up in? <laughs> Absolutely. I, my dad and I are walking up, and John Hart's there, and um, you know I'm I'm talking to my dad on the way in. I'm like, I hope we get good seats, you know. And we roll in, and I mean, there was there wasn't anybody there, and. Uh, I'm like, okay, and we're sitting right behind home plate, and uh, I'm watching the the pitchers for Cleveland, and, you know, they're pitching. I think they were playing Oakland. I think it was the game, actually, that uh, Conseco had the ball hit him on the head, and it was like a home run. Um, but the uh, uh, watching a foul ball go and hit in the stands, and it just ricochet, and I'm like, wow, okay. So... And that's when they're all talking about how excited they were about the, the new stadium and the rest of it. And then you go into that and you see the atmosphere of the place, which was totally different. And then you walk in and to Jacobs the first time, now progressive, but it was unreal, you know. And I think every game I played in Cleveland was sold out. And was did they actually did they take you over there while they were building while you were in town? Do you remember like trying to highlight that for you or anything, or is it just here's this old place? I swear the new place is going to be better. It was more that at the time. Um, I think <laughs> John O'Dowd, everybody there knew they had their their work cut out as far as um, you know. I had this big leg kick, uh, just very different. I think everybody was a little bit not sure what to do with me, um, just because yes, it's the best arm in the draft. But how do we rein this in? Are we going to try to turn him into a starter? Are we going to try to just let him close? What are we, what are we going to do? And I think it was uh, a very unsure period of time. And I had to focus. They had to focus on trying to get me reined in. And, and we finally came into you know, something where I could, I could do some work for the Indians and, and be okay. Now, you didn't spend too much time in the minors, but you did make some trips through uh, Columbus, Canton, and Kinston and Buffalo. Any recollections about that minor league life or what it was like? Because, again, I don't imagine those ballparks were, um, you know, top-notch either. So what was that uh, quick tour, I guess, through before you made your major league debut? Well, I talked to my <clears throat> wife about it the other night, um, just how, how much fun we had in the minor leagues. And a lot of that fun came probably a little more um, – 
double-A, triple-A uh, level. We had fun at Kinston, though. Kinston was, was, was really good as well. But um, just being able to get into it, you know, like I said, there was a lot of um, evolution going on in mine. You know, I started off throwing with the big leg kick. And it, it, a lot of this is a, around that. That motion did not lend itself to holding runners on whatsoever. Um, if you're going to be a starting pitcher and go nine innings with that kind of a kick, you know, how are you going to do that? Um, so trying to figure those out. Each of those stops was special. Um, I know that Johnny Goro had talked to me um, before I went to Oh, I think I'd come out of double-A because um, I was going to go to Kinston the next year. And he had said, just just hang in there. Just no matter what happens, just hang in there. Don't, <laughs> you know, just don't overreact. I'm like, okay. And it was nice to have him looking out for me. Um, and then I went to Kinston, but I went <clears throat> and I had gone from a low leg kick where I got crushed in double-A. I mean, it was like I was throwing meatball after meatball. I could not get guys out. Uh, still have you know, nightmares about Cliff Floyd and Shane Andrews from the Expos organization. God, I just, I made their whole season, I think, during that time. Um, but then I went back to Kinston and put the leg back up and started throwing fuel again and getting guys out. And it was like, this is fun. And then that's when I ended up basically going to, you know, the the manager and I think the scouting director, not the scouting director, but uh, maybe the player development guy. I don't know. But basically told him that this is who I'm going to be. So figure out what you want to do. But I'm, I, no, I will take the bonus money and go fish for a living if you guys stop. You know, I just wanted him to stop making me try to go with the low leg kick. And do you remember the news when you were getting called up? I mean, do you, uh, you know, nowadays they'll put it on social media and this and that, but was it just a call to the office saying, pack your bags for, uh, for Baltimore? Not at all. Um, it, was, it was John Hart. I was in Kinston, um, and he basically had said, <clears throat> um, we're going to have you come up to the uh, uh, exhibition game against the AAA team. You're going to pitch with, with the big league team against the, the AAA team. And I'm not going to say what could happen. So that's how he floated it, right? <clears throat> and I'm like, okay. But what he wanted to see, I think, was how I responded to that. So I'm with the team. I'm dressing out in a big league uniform. But I think we're playing in Charlotte. Um, and, you know, of course, I was locked and loaded and had a great outing and came in and he's like, okay. All right, you know, so there wasn't, it was, it was kind of an odd, you know, it's not like, hey, you're in the big leagues. It was, okay, keep your bags here, <laughs> you know, and, and let's keep moving. But it was pretty much a direct route from the, that night at Kinston where he came out and he, do, he would, he basically, he wanted to challenge me okay. and he wanted me to prove to him at that point in time that I could handle it. And then when I did, then, you know, next thing I know, I'm in Baltimore. And do you recall your uh, your first strikeout? I'm having to pull that up. And do you remember who it was? And I I was thinking it was uh, I can't remember the guy's name. And I think the, the scouting report was out on your, uh, your <laughs> highlight kick because Brady Anderson was at first. You had two out, and there was a. 
force out its uh, fielder's choice. So, uh, you know what I remember more than anything else? I remember that this is my debut, and Albert Bell made a sliding catch for me. It looked strange, yeah, that catch. And, um, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At the time, um, I want to say the, uh, I forget who it was. I think it might have been Plunky came up and said, man, that was special. He doesn't, he didn't do that. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, he didn't really, he didn't really dive for balls. But he, uh, yeah, right there. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, you know, when you've got these guys like Albert, you just can't get them hurt, you know? I mean, if we didn't have A.B. that year, it would have been rough. But um, I just remember seeing that and then feeling like he made that extra effort, you know, and I'm just some punk kid, some punk rookie that just came up, and I appreciated it. And honestly, A.B. and I had a, had a really good relationship the whole time we played together. He got a bad rap for a lot of things, but he was – he was a really, really good teammate. How was Tony Pena? Was he like a, for your first uh, uh, major league appearance to have Tony Pena behind the plate? Must have been kind of nice too. I mean, just a veteran, a guy that's been around the league for a while, and actually had a real nice throw on this. Uh, all things considered. Yeah, if I was, you know, not <laughs> one seven to home, I might, I might have had a chance. Brady's pretty good at stealing though too. But um, no, Pena was incredible, and he was a, a guy that I had watch play and always you know looked up to so to get a chance to actually throw to him just <laughs> and then to be on the on the field like this you know in a big league game doing it was there's a lot of surreal but so much of it when you're in it is just I just wanted to kind of keep that um you didn't uh, save your first strikeout then it looks like you got tossed back out there did you not keep many mementos of your career or You'd be surprised. Yeah. I don't have, uh, at my house, I've got some tennis trophies. <laughs> I got some, some fishing trophies. But baseball wise, I really, I really don't. And because it became such a job, mm -hmm. it just seemed like that was, that was the family's livelihood, so to speak. So, um, and that's once, I mean, my dad and I basically found a way to rein that leg kick in, get to where I could be consistent, get to where I could be basically worth, you know, worth uh, being a, a major league pitcher that could be in the bullpen and provide something consistent. Still battle the injury bug, but there really wasn't much I could do about that. I think um, I struggle with that from a more probably chemical water. I just can't hold water. Okay. Even in tennis, okay. I'll play a singles match and I can lose 10 pounds of water. And it's just all the outings that I struggled in, for the most part where I got hurt, it was about 40 pitches. Okay. So if I got into a, a longer outing and you're, you know, my stuff's not changing. Yeah. But then all of a sudden the hamstring would go, uh, you know, uh, 
a groin, a whatever, something would go. And that was always something that uh, was very difficult. As I got older, I could start to feel, you know, tinging. Yeah. And, but you're competing. So it's very difficult to take yourself out of the game. And it's, I was a more, still more of a stuff guy. So I can't exactly, oh, we'll just throw an 85 mile hour split instead of a 92. You know, you're gonna, you're gonna get after it. So, but I got a little bit smarter about it. You mentioned your father, and I think I saw one of the articles. He pitched a little bit in college or somewhere, and was he hugely instrumental in your your growing up with learning how to pitch and just being a pitcher even after you got to the league? I mean, was he still kind of keeping an eye on you? And like you mentioned the light kick. Yeah, he absolutely is, and to this day, I mean, um, Sunday I'll fly back Sunday after doing the this up in Cleveland, and we'll do some pitching lessons together. Okay. I mean, we still are just the same. Um, the one thing about this game is Carl Willis is a great pitching coach, mm -hmm. right? You have a lot of great pitching coaches, but they haven't seen you your whole life. They get to see you as a product that they get, and then they're trying to help you, right? Well, your dad, you know, my dad is an electrical engineer. We talk totally different languages, okay? And, um, and he sees, sees things differently. And it really works for me to have him break things down. And he's seen me my whole life. And he can make one little adjustment. I still remember the one, uh, the one year coming in, uh, I was really struggling in spring training. And uh, we had an exhibition game uh, against Atlanta before the season started. And before that game, he just said, look, I've been looking at some tape and you're 1-6 to home right now. I'm like, really? And I had the lower leg kick. So I just picked up my tempo a little bit. But that one little thing, I mean, I ruled off maybe 12 scoreless in relief to start the year off after having a really bad spring. But he just, I, there's nothing better than having somebody that's seen you your whole life, that knows what's going on, and then, you know, they can make a little adjustment like that because they know you. You know, um, other pitching coaches, they might be able to pull that off, but it's not the easiest thing to do because they don't know the history, okay. right? So, and you know, speaking of people watching you pitch, one of the things I like to ask pitchers is Bob Feller was obviously around a lot. Was Bob around in the '90s with you and remember him talking to you, or did you ever, you know, <laughs> shoot stuff about uh, pitching with him? Or Bob was very interesting, um, just like uh, Pena. I mean, he's like one of those guys that you you look up to, you've heard about, you know, he's, you got him on a pedestal. And then um, I think uh, the first time I met him, you know, I'm a first round pick and I'm doing a signing. So it's Bob Feller and I doing the signing, right? And um, so I meet him there and I mean, he is gruff and just, you know, almost angry, he's barking at people. I'm happy to sign autographs. I'm like, you want my autograph? Fantastic, here, let me sign this. Here, you know, you know, take as many as you want. And he's just, he had been through it so much that he had a real edge to him and how he went. Um, I, gotta, I gotta tell you this. Uh, so I played on the USA team and I had actually met him before with the USA team before I came to Cleveland. That was the first time I met him. And, um, we were in Millington, Tennessee, and they thought it was a good idea to bring Bob Feller out to face Mike Schmidt. So Feller would throw BP to Mike Schmidt, and they 
people making decisions that aren't thinking it through, right? So they, they had a, a pitching screen out there at the mound. I walk down early um, for the game, and I see Feller, and I see him, and he's putting his spikes on. And he's old. You know, I don't know how old he was at the time, but he's older. And he's putting metal spikes on that I'm like, all right. And then I look at the pitching screen, and he's already grumbling about the pitching screen. And I'm like, and I went right back inside and talked to the guys. And I'm like, dudes, you got to get out. This is going to be special. I said, I don't know what's about to happen, but it's it's going to be different. And uh, and sure enough, Feller gets out there, rips the pitching screen, gets that out of there. You got a full crowd. Schmidt's walking up, and <laughs> – and Feller is firing it as hard as he possibly can. He's not even that close to the plate, right? And Schmidt's getting bothered, you know, because he, he's supposed to hit home runs and he's not getting any kind of BP. And then he finally hits one and it goes off the fence. And the next one, obviously, Feller tries to drop his butt, right? <laughs> I mean, it is, it was, it was unreal. But what I totally appreciated more about that than anything else is just the fact, I mean, Feller went in his deathbed. He still thinks he can get people out, right? And I think that's one thing that, you know, we may, we're young, we get old, whatever, but that doesn't leave, right? He still thinks he can get it done. I mean, that's, that's pretty neat. Um, so, you know, you, you come in 94, obviously the strike, and then 95, um, you, know, you mentioned injuries and, and whatnot, not to kind of lump those 90 years together, but, I mean, I have to imagine coming, I was a little guy, so I remember coming to games, but sold out every night. I mean, just what was it like to pitch in, in something like that? It was just, it was, it was amazing, you know? Obviously, 95, 96, 97, I felt like I made a little bit of a breakthrough in 96, but then uh, in the playoffs, I gave up, uh, I, uh, I think Grover brought me in, bases loaded in Baltimore, and I gave up a... Uh, uh, grand slam to Benia on a 3-2 split, right? I got Benia out all year, but it's like you had the bases loaded situation. It was a great opportunity. I was really looking, but he, he spit on a on a good one, and then he ended up just getting enough one to get it over the wall. Um, and that, that stung, and you had to watch that a million times on ESPN. You could not see it, right? Um, but it was my first playoff experience. Um, and then you had 95, 96, and then 97, and just the guys, right? I mean, we were an all-star team. We were legitimately an all-star team. We were averaging seven, you know, seven and a half runs a game. I'm like, just as a reliever, just keep it close. You know, you don't have to be amazing. Just don't, you know, lose your crap out there. You know, if you give up a run, it's okay, but just get the next guy out. You know, and it was that era, right? That steroid era. So, I mean, balls are flying out of the park like crazy. You just, you know, kind of keep your head. And, you know, really, it took it took some time to get to the point where it was, this is a job. Let me see how I can consistently get guys out and, you know, not try to strike everybody out. <laughs> and you're, backtrack a little bit, too. Your first home game was May 14th. And it's actually kind of a unique, uh, I guess, home debut. I don't know if you remember that against Detroit. It was kind of mop-up duty. I think we were up 9-3. to three. You retired the first two batters looking and walked the next one, walked the next one, and then you struck out the next batter, but it was a wild pitch. 
and then struck out the final guy. So you had four strikeouts uh, against Detroit. That was my home debut? That was your home debut at, at then Jacobs Field in 94. So. <laughs> I, I remember it. I remember it very well because uh, Fryman and I are still mm. good friends, and I'm, I still thank him for swinging because <laughs> I had uh, the, uh, the fastball that day was just diving. You know, you just – I'm so – juiced with adrenaline and the just the action on the ball was hard to control and at that point in time you're not getting a lot of calls right you're a rookie so it was like you throw one that's right there and you're like okay all right <laughs> didn't get that so let's see and that was that was a crazy one I was just so happy to get out of there I think uh Cecil Fielder might have been the fourth out of that one I definitely yeah um so, were your parents able to, uh, or your family, like, able to get to either of those games? Were they at the Baltimore one, or they were at the Baltimore one? Um, they were probably at the Cleveland one as well. Um, they followed me around for most of the games. I mean, they've been able to watch my brother and I play uh, UNC, um, and then, um, I mean, they were just such a core part of you know my game mm -hmm. that. Um, they were able to see quite a bit of it, and um, I think they enjoyed it. I mean, once it got to where it's <laughs> really a job, right, I don't think they were able to make as many, but they would always make some trips up. And, again, you get to be part of this perfect storm of Cleveland baseball. You know, the Browns were gone. We had a new ballpark selling out. Um, did it ever hit you? You know, you'd be out and about by yourself just running errands. People would recognize you. I mean, I don't know how many teams have, have relievers um, being recognized out and about, but – Baseball in Cleveland, from again, I was old enough to remember, you know, was electric. I mean, these, everyone was larger than life, it seemed. Did that ever hit you anywhere? Or? Yeah. It was, I mean, obviously it wasn't the same as, um, like, Tommy or Manny or, you know, some of the guys. But definitely, it's like the area. Cleveland is just such a sports town. And everybody was just into it. You knew everything about the game, and you could talk to like a random person on the street, and they would know what happened in the game. Yeah, you know, I mean, and that's special, and you don't really know how special that is until like I think after I got traded, and I'm in LA, and I see how, okay, you know, this is a little different. Why is everybody leaving in the fifth inning? You know, like what's going on? And um, it was such a different atmosphere, but I mean, I very special you know you're going through the grocery store and I don't know it was just very cool um, I still remember when I got traded going through the airport and it was just like I still I'm even thinking about it now it was it was tough everybody was saying bye and you're like I'm in the airport you know what I mean like who's you just wouldn't think but everybody knew what was going on and you know Majority of people will never get to uh, step onto a major league field and pitch what was it like I mean do you remember anyone you know, in the batter's box that you just remember growing up watching and just like, holy crap, I'm, you know, pitching against X, Y, and Z and, and you know, pinch yourself moments or? Yeah, the, you know, Ken Griffey Jr., Barry Bonds, you know, those were the, you dream about being able to face a guy, you know, in a situation like that. Um, and I got to do it over and over and over because, I mean, Juan Gonzalez is, Conseco uh, McGuire. I mean, you're just, it's just name drop city, right? Everybody that you're facing. Um, and it's just, uh, I don't know. You just, you have to get wrapped around it to where you realize that they're just like you. 
you have to build your confidence armor. That's a big thing that I work with the kids on now is like get a good outing under your belt, build off of that, you know, put another layer of confidence armor on. Okay, I can deal with that. You know, I am good, you know. Um, but you have to kind of have all that armor in your head when you're facing these guys because it's tough. I still remember, I think, spring training, the very first at-bat, you know, I'm kind of digging in and looking in to get my sign, and I step back. I'm like, holy sh**. You know, Frank Thomas was the guy, and I'm just like, good Lord. I've never seen a human that big, you know. And he's in the box, and, you know, I'm just like, all right, here we go. You know, it's just it's it's just an odd situation. McGuire, I mean, he was he was like the size of three people. You know, I mean, it's just different stuff. And you know, it's funny you mentioned Frank. I went to your baseball reference page real quick, and Frank was actually the guy you faced the most in your career. He had twenty six plate appearances. He actually went three for twenty against you with the home run. Um, Jeter went two for sixteen. Griffey was one for nine. You held Bonds and McGuire both zero for five against you. And Albert even was two and eleven against you. On the the flip side, though, Edgar Martinez seemed to be a tough out, five for eleven off you. Uh, yes. So that guy, um, I mean, some big names. But looking back, I mean, you know, holding your own against some of those guys is is it's better than, you know, seeing Frank ten for twenty with you know five home runs. Is that something you've ever looked back on, or is that kind of news to you that you kind of? Because I I call some games, so I do some uh, color commentary with UNC. Um, the guys have brought some of that stuff up. So Jeter's numbers are actually even better than that. So I had a really good understanding with him, right? Um, but the way I always look at it is, in the Yankees lineup, who are you going to get out? <laughs> right? You had all these guys. The other thing about it is, you're talking about a lot of right-handed hitters. Well, I love to face the lefties because of the split finger, right? So it was a very, like a Barry, like a junior, you, I felt almost better against those guys. Um, the right-handers I felt good against, but Frank, I mean, if I'm not getting him out, well, I need to go find another job, right? Because we face White Sox so much, you know? Uh, Egger, Egger, I mean, I put Egger right there with Manny. I think that's the two sweetest right-handed swings I've ever seen. And he was just, he was very good. I played winter ball with him. Um, and he hit a line drive to the right fielder and came in and was all pissed off. And I'm like, what's wrong? You know? And he's like, it didn't break. I'm like, what? He's like, he hung it. If he hadn't hung it, I would have hit it out. And that bothered me, right? You're sitting there thinking, like, this guy's kind of next level, you know? He was going to go down and hit down on that ball and have it backspin, but because he hung it, he. He lifted and hit a line drive instead. So, I don't know. I maybe had a little more respect for him than some of the others. But he was just a he, – he laid off the split well. Most of the guys that I struggle with, they were able to lay off the split. And, you know, do you ever um, – you know, during that era, your teammates, I mean, was it nice to be in the dugout when you saw Manny and Tommy and, you know, Lofton and, and Sandy and Albert, you know, up there? I mean, you know, you got to – not. I don't want to say dodge, but obviously on the same team, you don't have to worry about dealing with them. Was that pretty cool to watch from the dugout or from the bullpen to see what those guys were doing? It was just unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. And they're, they were great teammates, great guys. And um, just, I mean, somebody would be on a tear, right? Every once in a while, everybody would be on a tear. And that was really bad. 
The amount of pressure the Cleveland teams offensively put on other teams, it was awesome to see. And then when you're talking about the the 10th man, right? You're talking about a whole stadium that is, you know, you get two balls, you know, if you're an opposing pitcher over here and you get two balls on the guys, I mean, you just, it was dangerous, right? Some of you could have to go get a new ball. <laughs> um, what was it? And I don't, I don't want to take up too much. Okay, we're. Um, I just want to mention, like Sandy, he's meant so much to Cleveland baseball. I mean, he's been around for you know almost the existence of this building. What was he like as a catcher, just as a teammate, and, and are you guys still keep in touch quite a bit? Or I mean, he's just he's up there with the Cleveland legends. So what's what's Sandy mean to you? No, they asked me to do a word association a little bit ago on on Sandy, and I just I every time I think of Sandy, I think about the home run he hit against. Mariano. It was just nobody was touching Mariano, and Sandy went with a totally different approach. Really dove out, was able to get good wood on that ball and, and take it out of the park. And I think that's a, you know, when I think of him, I think about there's a lot more than just one swing. There's a lot that went into that, and that's kind of him. When he had such a great game as being an All Star, coming out here and able to do it here. I mean, he's just he's kind of. He's the Cleveland guy, right? He's the guy who doesn't, he's not always in the limelight, but he's always getting it done. A huge catcher, great target, um, called the game well. Um, we had our little tiff right away in my first outing um, where he put a curveball down, and I, or he put a fastball down, and I shook it off, and I was a rookie. And I'm like, no. And then he put it down again. I'm like, no. Um, but... I think we kind of, after that uh, event, right, we, um, I think we had some mutual respect for each other. You know, my comment to him at the time was like, it's not going to be your name in the box. It's going to be my name in the loss column, and, you know, and I've got confidence in this pitch right now. And I threw a curveball and struck that guy out. So it was like one of those things, like, just, I'll call my game, you know, but as soon as you, we are in tandem, then it's all good. Um, but he has just been so good for Cleveland. Um, I've always wondered if he was going to end up, you know, being the manager here for an extended amount of time. It would surprise me. His dad is incredible. Uh, it was nice to play with Robbie. I mean, he he made some plays behind me that were pretty incredible. Him and Omar together, I'm like, that was priceless. You know, you could have paid a lot of money to watch that. So, um, but yeah, Sandy's just special, and you know, he's been a great steward for Cleveland. And I'll wrap it up with one last question since I think we've gone a little over time. But, you know, your, your career with Cleveland kind of rides the, the rise and fall of those, um, those 90s teams because, you know, your last year, one made the playoffs, but then 2 comes and it's that, you know, pare down and, and rebuild. And I think that's something you guys kind of noticed was going to happen. I mean, what was it like, I guess, now, years later, what are we, 20-some-odd years later, like reflecting on being part of such a, a unique part of our history. I mean, is it something that, you know, it's kind of difficult, I guess, to come up with a, a concise answer, but looking back, I mean, you were part of, of such a, a meteoric, you know, franchise moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I think back to that time, and, you know, I was very comfortable, right, and pitching well and had finally kind of come to grips with, <laughs> not trying to outstuff everybody 
I was becoming more democratic, right? Getting more ground balls, um, get people out earlier. And then, um, but I felt like uh, Mark Shapiro was really instrumental uh, trying to figure out, um, he wanted me to have a chance to go for it. You know, it's kind of interesting. The, he had two trade options. I chose the one that was gonna benefit Cleveland the most. I was a Cleveland guy, right? And um, I wanted to stay, but at the same time, I knew I didn't know how much time I would have. I had some hip injuries, so I didn't know to what extent. I may only have a couple more years to try to get you know, a world championship. So it was like, um, for that opportunity, I think Shapiro was looking out for me. Um, we were both on the same page as far as trying to figure out what was best. And then, you know, it was very sad when it actually ended up occurring. But um, I think it happened for all the right reasons. He basically, at that time, he had Wickman as the closer, and I was setting up. And um, L.A. was in the middle of it. They were in the thick of it. But the two teams was Anaheim or L.A. And I, it would have been better to go to Anaheim. Anaheim won it that year. And the uh, I had a little re-entry issue when I went from uh, American League to National League because you come across and guys weren't swinging. I had to pitch differently, so it was uh, it took about a month to kind of get my feet on the ground there before it was back to okay. This is just how we have to do it here. But I think Anaheim would have been a looking back on it. That's probably the one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, well, that's, that's great for now. Um, thanks for being here. You've been listening to Cleveland's Team, a baseball history podcast with Guardians team historian Jeremy Fedor.